Hello and welcome to Florida Basketball Hour. I am Neil Blackman, Saturday Down South, joined by Eric Fawcett, GatorCountry.com. Eric, um, that was maybe the best or most entertaining basketball game that Florida's played all year, even even maybe a little more entertaining than the Ohio State game, uh, or at least the most entertaining since then. A really well-played game. Florida scores the last nine points and wins at Vanderbilt and keeps their NCAA tournament hopes alive in the process. I'm not totally sure I found it as entertaining as you, if that's the case. I, I was just scared, man. Um, I, I guess it's like, Hey, there's, there's like, there, there's something that, you know, we don't, we don't hide here on the podcast. It's not that we're just like, you know, we're, we're you'll still see some media in the Gator space be like, Hey, we're media. We're not fans. We no like me and Neil are fans. So I got it. I got to say like, that was, uh, not always the most fun to watch, but I know what you mean from a standpoint of like ridiculous shot making, like some objectively amazing shot making from, from Vanderbilt. Um, and of course, like the Gators having a very unlikely outcome that, or, or comeback, I should say that uh, um, I, I don't even think I fully realized it in the moment, just seeing like what their win probability was at. I know people were tweeting out the the different ESPN and, and Ken Palm win probabilities um, after the game. And even just like, yeah, to be, to be down by three possessions that late um, to have <laughs> Scotty Pippen uh, uh, having the chance to extend the game. Like it was, uh, it was, it was never comfortable. The, the one thing I, I, I will point out too, again, that's, that is just crazy is, you know, like, I think we are all maybe a little bit surprised to see before the game that Ken Palm and the betting markets had this as a, as a one point Vanderbilt win, um, man, sometimes those people are, uh, you know, the, 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 there's a reason these, uh, these, these bookmakers, uh, are, are so successful and why everyone loves to go to Ken Palm because they obviously had a pretty good feel for this game. Um, of course, like, I think a lot of people will look at the shot making of Vanderbilt and say, Hey, the game shouldn't have been, shouldn't have been close, but you know what? Um, it was, and the Gators could have very easily lost by one. Um, like was kind of um, projected by the metrics, but instead they uh, keep their season alive. They do keep their season alive. And um, so let me, I thought it was an entertaining game. <laughs> I said that I, I, you know, I, I think that I said on the last podcast, I feel like Florida has played well for two and a half games. I now feel like they've played, played well for three and a half consecutive games. Um, I thought the Gators played a, a pretty good game. I thought that the fact that Vanderbilt uh, shot 56% um, from the field and made 15 of 29 three-pointers, uh, they made they scored 16 points on shot clock buzzer beaters. Uh, not all those shots were wide open. In fact, most of them weren't. Uh, Trey Thomas hit one where he was almost sideways in the air. Um so, like, I think Florida defended well for large stretches. Uh, I also don't think they defended as well in the second half as they did in the first half. Um, and I thought Florida ran really good offense most of the night. And then when they didn't, that was when Vanderbilt went on a 15-0 run. I think the thing that boggles me, the, my mind, the most, Eric, about this, and I tweeted this out, um, was that Florida won a game where an opponent made 15 of 29 threes. <laughs> And went on a 15-0 run in the second half. And Florida still won. Extremely unlikely. And, and again, like, man, I, I'm not sure, like, if that game gets to overtime, would you have, you know, picked the Gators to, to win, especially being on the road? Um, so, obviously, got a little bit lucky. Um, it kind of in a, in a number of ways there. But, uh, uh, hey, again, we <laughs> you know, as much as we have criticisms to, you know, multiple kind of um, – 
portions of this, uh, this Florida basketball team, the, the one thing that we don't really question is their resolve and their ability to, um, kind of come back from, from these tough situations. That is something we've seen time and time again. And it looks like that kind of experience they have coming back from some tough situations earlier in the season, uh, really paid off in a game that they, they really, you know, desperately needed against the Commodores. Uh, so just like, just kind of another, um, another element to like, Hey, can the Gators kind of make something happen, um, late in the season and, and, and get to where they want to go. Uh, I, I mean, man, the, the one thing that they really do have going for them is like, you kind of know, it's like, doesn't really matter if they're stuck 14 with six minutes left in the game. It's like, they have shown that they can kind of battle back, but uh, as much as you don't want to see themselves, see them put themselves in that situation. Um, if they do, which just happens, uh, they've shown a lot more than a lot of other teams that they have the ability to come back. Yeah, I mean, a third time this season where they've been down by eight or more and come back uh, eight or more in the second half and come back to win. Um, Florida was down nine in this game with less than six minutes to go. Uh, figured out how to get a W, Eric. And, and you know, what was interesting was it was a different Vanderbilt team. Our podcast kind of preview assessment uh, for once was really spot on. Um, we said that uh, Scotty Pippen was – not going to score six points again. And um, he went off for 29. Uh, he made some shots in the second half. I mean, there's one where he was 25 feet and Niles Lane was two feet from him and he just rattled it in. Like it was no problem. Uh, just spectacular basketball from him. I did think Liam Robbins definitely makes Vanderbilt better. Florida was fortunate to get him in foul trouble. I thought, cause when he was on the floor, uh, he was definitely a difference maker for them. Um, Trey Thomas, who I know is a player that that a lot of people liked before the season, and it just took him a little while to get healthy and get going, uh, played spectacular. Um, Miles Studi hit three of eight um, and was an insane plus 21 in a loss. Uh, so, you know, Vanderbilt played really good. Jerry Stackhouse said that they're living a nightmare, and I think what he means by that is this is like the second – straight game and the third time in four games that Vanderbilt has essentially lost a game that they had won in the last two minutes. Well, again, I, I mean, they entered the game against Florida 75th in the net um, 75th in Ken Palm as well. And like, you're just seeing like, like they're probably looking at like, Hey, we are, you know, we're a couple games away from, um, having our season look very differently. Like they're a couple bounces away from probably being somewhere similar to the Gators in the net. Um, there was a time a couple weeks ago on the podcast where they were one game behind the Gators in the SEC standings. It's like, um, if not for some very tough breaks for them, their their season could actually be looking really good. And I mean, I'm not about to suggest that I think they're going to go on a run and win the SEC, but I, may, I mean, man, that's not a team I'd like to see. Uh, I mean, I guess the, or the, the SEC has a couple of teams at the bottom, uh, like South Carolina's playing pretty well i mean we'll guess we'll get into that maybe next week before the sec tournament um but i i i can see how uh i can see how stackhouse feels that way and again i think that's pretty cool to go from obviously what they've been the last couple of years just so um struggling so much at the bottom of the sec to just get like any kind of win to then being at the point where it's like yeah they can play a tough tough game with florida and it can be like a nightmare scenario that they lose so um pretty cool for for the vanderbilt program i i, I think and uh um Obviously, they they showed what they could do against uh, against the Gators, and uh, uh, if there's, it, it was a team that kind of scared the Gators last year when they weren't as kind of filled out of a roster, and uh, it's uh, it's a uh, 
it, it's again, it's a team. It's like if the Gators were to have to see them again some, somehow in the SEC tournament, um, it'd be a scary game again. And uh, uh, largely, yes, Scotty Pippen, I, I, I still think he's absolutely incredible. And I, I thought it was just so cold that shot he hit to put Vanderbilt ahead when he just shook Myron Jones. It was like the most casual um, play that was, you know, for a huge bucket to go ahead in the game. I I, I just like, I, I, I'm in awe every, every time watching him play. I hope he sticks around the SEC for one more year just because uh, I'd love to see him as much as I don't love the Gators having to play against him. I think he's going to stay there. I think he likes playing for Jerry Stackhouse. I think his dad likes that he plays for Jerry Stackhouse, and I would expect him uh, to stick around. Um, Eric can talk and speak about why he would come back to school. A lot of people are like, why wouldn't he go pro? And I think Eric is more qualified than me to talk about that. But um, I would anticipate that he'll be back at Vanderbilt, and Vanderbilt could be pretty good next year. Um, and uh, you know, like Eric said, pretty close to being pretty good this season. Uh, just not quite able to pull out some of these games. And in this one, there were really two reasons. Uh, Quentin Malora-Brown was not really able to handle Colin Castleton, who wasn't quite at his best, I thought. But it mattered when Florida really needed buckets in the first half. They were able to feed Castleton some. That wore off in the second half. And then it was the Flan Fleming show. Uh I saw a tweet that said Flanion Berry, and I had to laugh for the uh, come from behind block by Flan Fleming on Scotty Pippen on what I thought was a beautifully designed play by Vanderbilt. I have I, I have a I have a major issue with the play call um, from Vanderbilt, and that was here we go. <laughs> Okay, this, this is some high school basketball nonsense right here. I didn't catch it live, but I was watching the game back again on my laptop, so you can always kind of catch things when you've got headphones on watching these games, you hear stuff that you don't always hear through like the TV broadcast. So what happens when they go to inbound the ball, Jerry Stackhouse yells home run, home run. Everyone on the floor for Vanderbilt looks at each other and says home run, home run. So I'm thinking to myself, where do you think this, this, this ball is headed? Um, That's like a common, like a common, like you play for, yeah, those like long bomb, like throwing it over the top of the defense. So um, Flanders Fleming, presumably I think, knew that that one was coming because you could kind of see the way he broke back um, earlier um, that I, I feel like he kind of knew what was coming. Of course, he wasn't able to like intercept the pass or whatever, but uh, of course he just made the, the, the Canyon Berry block. But I, I just was like, I, I really like Jerry Stackhouse. I'm shocked that someone that comes from the, the NBA would call a play by home run because that's like something you go and hear like early coaches clinics for like these press break over the top plays. Um, so man, like I, I just, you, you cannot be using common nomenclature um, for plays that uh, uh, could give away some key information. So I, I do think it was a really good set design. They just have to call it something other than something that yeah. if anyone in the gym hears, they, they, they know what they're trying to do, but still a good play. Like you said. Yeah, no, okay, so that's that's fine. I thought you were going to take issue with, like, trying to score. Um, no, 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 no. Know, <laughs> with the time on the clock, but I agree. I, I did not hear the home run thing, so I think, um, yeah, I mean, it seems like whatever happened, Flan Fleming, uh, Flanian buried the shot, and he clearly knew what was coming, like you said, because he did break back when uh, some of the other Gators did not. Unfortunately, uh, you know, he may not be the conference defender of the year that he was in the big South, but he is a good defensive player. I think he's made the adjustment pretty well. Um, and probably better than Brandon McKissick, for example. Um, and, you know, uh, makes just a spectacular play. And then I thought, 
kind of an underrated sequence in that last 30 seconds where Florida steals the game is the Gators kind of calmly get the ball up the court with some uh, defenders still back for Vanderbilt. And then um, Tuan Gatkick made like a really nice cut to the basket and like was ready for the ball. Um, and I think, was that Fleming that, that made the pass too? I think it was uh, just a spectacular pass from, from Flan uh, to gap kick who makes the bucket. And all of a sudden uh, it was a one point game. Yeah. He's playing his best basketball right now. And and that's really what the Gators have kind of lacked. We know Colin Castleton has been um, really good. Um, I actually really liked how they use Colin Castleton in this game, not as much just giving him the ball with his back to the basket on the block, but kind of giving it to him at the high post and, or kind of by the free throw line area and, and allowing him to get in situations where he just had to like turn and take one dribble and, and kind of attack off the bounce. I, I really like that usage of Colin Castleton. I, it's so much harder to double team and, and trap. Um, I really like that. Um, Tyree Appleby's playing his best basketball right now. He's been a little bit more up and down, but kind of has like, you know, generally been, um, a key performer for the Gators. It's, it's kind of been like the wing position where it's like, Hey, is Myron Jones going to have zero or 15 points or is Brandon McKissick going to, you know, be able to provide much offensively or like, like that's kind of been the, the holes I'll say. And, uh, for Flanders Fleming to just kind of string together multiple good games and, um, kind of getting it done on both sides of the floor, I, I think is pretty huge for this basketball team. And, uh, one thing that I think, we kind of really liked about Flanders Fleming coming from the role he did at Charleston Southern was just like the fact that he really was a Jack of all trades kind of player. He was posting up sometimes he was running pick and roll. Sometimes he was guarding right. center sometimes. So for you to kind of point out, Neil, that like obviously what he did offensively, but also like to show some of that playmaking, I I, I almost wonder if we've like not totally seen all the passing ability of, of Fleming, but you know, we got to see a little bit of it uh, against Vanderbilt. Yeah, we really did. And and uh, I don't want to leave Gatkick out of this. Um, you know, I thought you saw yet again um, that Tuan Gatkick is is really needs some time with Preston Green and he gets he gets bodied pretty hard and it hurts him defensively some, um, even though I think positionally he's usually in the right place. Uh, but, you know, he was three for three from the field. Um, and always seemed prepared when he got the ball. He also had two assists. Uh, Florida, by the way, um, only had eight turnovers on the night to the point I was making about how they played pretty darn well. Um, and that was the uh, third straight game where they have had 11 or fewer. So they're doing a pretty good job of taking care of the basketball late in the season, and that's helping. Credit Tyree Appleby in particular for that since he's his minutes are up and his turnovers are down, uh, I think. He's still being asked to do entirely more than anybody to the SEC should be asked to do because uh, he's all that Florida has that can create. But um, it's great to see, you know, Tyree continue to play well, as Eric said. Um, so that gets us kind of to the last sequence after the gat kick bucket. Um, and, you know, Florida uh, I thought just ran a really nice play. Uh, we had a good, Duck in pass from Tyree Appleby. Uh, Colin Castleton reacts to uh, the double. I did mention that his shooting touch was a little off, but he still had 19 and eight. And this was his only assist uh, right to Flan Fleming, Eric. I, I still am just shocked by like after Georgia did this like five times and then for Vanderbilt to then like double down from the strong side where Castleton can perfectly see where the double team is. Like I do. I think that is 
objectively a poor way of, of guarding the post. And I just, I don't see the upside yes. in it at all. We saw, we saw Georgia get diced by it. And then in a very, very big, like, again, I'd be interested in, and I'll say this as much as I say Vanderbilt doubled, it was almost like he felt like he could maybe dig in there and slap away the pass. He kind of started cheating down and, and attacking the basketball on its flight. So Maybe yeah. I, maybe maybe calling it a double is is not totally fair, but whatever it was, he put himself in no man's land and allowed a wide open shot to find or something. So excellent, like for the ball to stick in Colin Castle's hands for like zero point two seconds. Um, really good read by him. Um, they obviously were kind of prepared for that double down. Um, shockingly defended in my in my opinion, but very well exploited by the Gators. Um, Neil, I'm going to be, I, through this podcast i'm going to have three very interesting bart torvik stats for you um quickly becoming one of my favorite quickly becoming my favorite analytics tool which i know it's usually you know evan maya has that title sometimes i i i, I changed my mind but um i'll tell you what this is this is that one of three the other two will get sprinkled in at some point um so over the last 10 games um according to bart torvik um the gators have been the 28th best um, offensive team in terms of adjusted offensive efficiency, and they have been the 144th ranked team in adjusted defensive efficiency. Um, so it kind of, I wanted to bring it up now, kind of talking about like what you said about uh, the way that the Gators have kind of taken care of the ball and been a little bit better on that end. Um, but also if you want to react to uh, 144th in the country and in, in defense over the last 10 games adjusted, um, you're welcome to respond to that too. Yeah, well, I did. I did mention I thought Florida played not very well on defense in the second half, and I think one problem that the Gators are having right now is they are really focused on, I think, gap control. But I think they're confused about like what they're supposed to do. And what I mean by that is, you'll get uh, Eric just mentioned defenders in no man's land, and I feel like that's what Florida does because they have like sort of these guys who think they can dig down and help on drives or kind of come over ball side to help on drives. And what's happening is a defense that went from like top 20 in the country in three point defense early in the year. I don't know what they are now, but it's much worse. And a big reason for that is this sort of half hearted ball side help. That's leaving a lot of shooters very open. Um, and it's, I think extremely concerning on teams that do have an elite driver or creator. Obviously Scotty Pippen uh, is marvelous at it. Uh, obviously Auburn has guys that are good at it, but Florida got away with it um, a little bit in that game. Um, Kentucky has a couple shooters uh, that can knock down those shots, but they have Ty Ty Washington, who certainly can get to the bucket. Davion Mintz is better than people think at it. So I think um, probably something to look out for Eric uh, when we talk about the Kentucky game. But I do think that's a huge reason is that, I think Florida's defenders are getting positionally stuck in bad spots a bit more in their half court defense. That wasn't happening as much early in the season. Yeah, I do feel too. Like, like, again, I kind of pointed out the last possession too, where of, of the, or not the last possession, but um, Vanderbilt's last bucket where Scotty Pippen just like very, very casually um, strolled up and, you know, was able to shake Myron Jones and get to his spot and, and hit a jumper. Um, it also just kind of showed that, or I shouldn't say it showed, it was just another reminder that the Gators just don't like none of their lineups are going to put out five plus defenders. I'll say, um, and I mean, I guess we can argue about who's a 
plus defender. Maybe that's an off-season uh, conversation. But uh, so you just like the fact that they aren't really able to switch um, becomes problematic in times like that. So uh, again, Scotty Pippen has made a whole lot of defenses look bad this year. The Florida is not the first; they're not the last. Um, but uh, it, it's just like an, it was an interesting number to quantify. I the fact that Bartorovic, you can kind of set those date parameters just to see that um, the Gators, you know, for a team that we've been not super high on their offense for a couple of years now over the last 10 games they're, they're kind of making it happen um you spoke to that and kind of wanted to give you a number to support um that the gators have been playing better uh but the defense is uh maybe you know maybe what we maybe what we thought maybe a little bit worse than, than some people thinking or listening to this podcast are thinking but uh that's the reality thank you bart torvik yeah and i want to go ahead and own up to my my thought that Florida needed to play like Virginia to have a chance to make the NCAA tournament. It turns out it seems like efficient offense is, is what's rescued the Gators a little bit uh, here down the stretch. Um, and I should have mentioned J.D. Note as another player who can really exploit that kind of weak, you know, ball side help where outside of Niles Lane, our guy, they don't <laughs> – I don't think anybody really – uh, helps ball side as, as effectively as they should. It's very half-hearted. Um, and we saw that with Appleby a couple times. And, you know, I think with Tyree, he, he's probably much better off just staying at home and staying out on a shooter uh, than trying to dig down and help with his size anyway. Um, just kind of my thought, but I'm, you know, I don't know. I don't know what they're coaching. I think they're probably saying stay in gaps because we got to watch drivers um, and guys don't want to leave the shooter, so they become kind of half-hearted about it. But I, I do think that's fundamentally what the problem is, um, more often than not. Um, it was another game where, yeah, I mean, the plus defenders comment uh, discussion is really good off-season discussion. I will say that, you know, outside of Lane and Fleming, there weren't really guys that you could trust as on-ball defenders in this game. Florida only had two players with plus-minuses, uh, that were plus nine or 10. They were Lane and Fleming. Um, we also saw Niles attack the basket, attack closeouts, which was good to see. Uh, didn't settle for any shots. How about this? I don't know if Florida wins this game if Tuan Gakic and Niles Lane don't go six for six from the field, Eric. Uh, well, I've interesting uh, i mean i guess when you when you uh it, it's a tight game like that that you almost lose if not for a missed free throw or i shouldn't say lose um but you're playing yeah right, right right um yeah i think it's easy to say hey if your role players you know miss a shot who knows what who knows what happens uh i i just really like nas late's takes I, I thought they were all kind of strong attacking the basket um and again it's one of those things too where like you can tell the way that he's being defended like uh, opponents know he's not going to shoot the ball um, even if he's left wide open in the corner, he might take a hesitation and it might mess up any rhythm he had. So uh, they're still kind of defending him that way, but he's still just so powerful um, and has such a quick first step that you can see, even if they close out short, he's still just kind of able to get an angle on them. So uh, I, I'm really impressed by that. Um, definitely some nice moments from, from Toon Gakik. I, I still really wish that uh, uh, CJ Felder was able to play more than six minutes. And I, I kind of wonder where he's at if the Gators kind of thought he'd be able to do more than that when they obviously started him. Um, I'm so glad. I mean, and I thought he looked good for six minutes, um, but it, it was almost like he looked so good that I was like, oh man, I just, it, it just makes you wish he was playing, you know, 26 minutes a game, kind of like we were maybe even hoping for before the season, um, which I guess even goes to, um, goes to another topic, uh, another player, this one who didn't play, um, Anthony Deruji. How much were you, uh, how much were you missing him? 
Well, I do think it's interesting that two of Florida's most efficient offensive games of the season have come with Anthony DeRucci out. Um, and, you know, you never want to say, hey, if Anthony sits on senior on his senior day, that's not a terrible thing. I hope he's back and, and gets a chance to play. Uh, but I might limit his minutes, honestly, because uh, two things that I think happen with DeRucci, um, and I'm not going to bring up uh, the missed dunks other than right now. I will say – uh, the first one is I do think that the ball stops a little more uh, with Anthony. I think sometimes, especially when he's on the perimeter, um, defenders will come t- sometimes come off of him, peel off of him a little bit to help, expecting a post-entry or, or maybe a drive. And I do think Anthony often pauses to think about whether he wants to shoot, and I think that uh, hurts Florida's offense a little bit. Florida's better when they're moving the ball, not dribbling the ball, um, and, and not holding the ball. Um, so I, I really think that's the first one. And then the second one is uh, while he has all the physical tools to be a, a really terrific rebounder, um, I don't think anyone mistimes their rebound jumps uh, more than Anthony DeRuzzi in the SEC. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, Florida, great. Granted, Vanderbilt is not like the most dominant rebounding team in, in, in America, but Florida competed on the glass in this game. They, they were only out-rebounded 30-25, which for this team is – not terrible. Um, and I, you know, I kind of wonder if like Florida doesn't really miss Anthony Jersey that much from a rebounding standpoint either. Yeah. I think I just found myself, especially in some of those minutes with like Flanders Fleming at the four, uh, it just kind of like, seems like the Gators become a little bit more dynamic offensively when they go from, you know, Jersey at the four to then Flanders Fleming at the four, which then just allows you to have another guard on the floor, which again, I kind of wish that some of these guards would have provided some, you know, or had the ability to provide a little bit more ball handling. Um, but still like, especially since Myron Jones is starting to like slowly put together some consistency, um, you know, you get him on the floor um, and even Brandon McKissick, who is, you know, as much as I don't always love his offensive game, he's, um, he's kind of, he's has his moments as well. And when he's on the floor with, uh, I almost feel like you get the most out of Brandon McKissick when he's out there with those like four guard lineups. I'll say if we call Flanders swimming a guard, just because yeah, it's a problem if Brandon McKissick is your secondary ball handler. But like if you know if Flanders Fleming's out there, I'd say he's you know your your third ball handler. At, you know at best you could argue fourth. So I think it almost gets the best out of Brandon McKissick, who I think is looking a little bit better kind of in these last couple of games. So um, hey, we'll we'll see. But maybe this is a little bit of a. And again, we still have no idea what the severity is. Tanthi Daruji, will we ever hear? Likely not. Um, thus is the way Florida basketball oh. is is kind of communicated <laughs> or covered. Um, but uh, uh, if he is coming back, you know, hopefully, uh, hopefully on Saturday, uh, maybe it is a little bit of a wake up call where he's like, hey, well, like I'm seeing this team score really well without me. Um, and I'll, you know, remind everyone that I think Vanderbilt's a really good defensive team that the Gators went and were really efficient against. So whether it's, you know, it's not, I don't know if Daruji will be like, okay, I've got to play better offensively. That's probably not what he needs to, not the mindset he has to do, but if he's like, okay, I've got to make much more of an impact defensively with my length and athleticism. I've got to make much more of an impact rebounding with my length and athleticism. Um, you know, maybe that can help things out. And, uh, uh, but uh, yeah, I've just got to say there was times during against Vanderbilt where I was like, I, I almost, I, I guess I'll say forgot that Daruji wasn't playing just because there wasn't many lineups where I was like, oh man, like, if only we could get Daruji here. That just, you know, didn't really happen. And uh, again, if, if Flanders – or not Flanders – if um, CJ Felder was able to play more minutes, that, you know, might even be be more so the case. So uh, definitely going to be interesting, you know, if slash when he's back, um, just to see, for starters, how how the rotation kind of pans out from, um, from White and also to see um, 
uh, hey, are these numbers where the Gators have suddenly been a lot better offensively? Um, you know, has that, uh, does that kind of continue? Does it change when he comes back? You know, it'll be interesting to track. Yeah, no, that's all, all great points, Eric. The one last thing I wanted to bring up was that Scotty Pippen Jr. leads the country in fouls drawn for, per 40 minutes. Um, and the last time he played a game with Terry Weimer as the lead referee, he drew 12 fouls. Uh, so the fact that Florida, uh, before before Tuesday night. So the fact that Florida, you know, as, as tough as we were on their defense, and I think rightfully so, and maybe some of this was that they were making so many three-pointers, um, but Vanderbilt only shot six free throws um, all night. Obviously, we all know what happened with, with Pippen um, at the end uh, with the McKissick foul. Um, some people asked me if we were going to talk too much about that, and unless Eric wanted to address it, I don't really want to. Like, I thought Brandon McKissick was trying to track one of the best players in the country, one of the best offensive players in the country and bumped him. I mean, it happens. Uh, he missed the free throw. Um, to be honest, to some extent, I'm kind of glad that like, I'm not going to say like, I'm glad that he found him and put one of the best free throw shooters in the sec on the line for two shots. But like, does that beat the alternative of giving him space to fire a game winning three pointer on a night when they're making everything? I don't know. Maybe. Um, it was a fortuitous sequence for Florida, obviously, uh, at the end, but I will say that their ability to at least defend without fouling is maybe one positive on an otherwise kind of grim defensive evening. Uh, two things. I mean, one on the foul, it, it maybe tells me, you know, like, like on one hand, it's kind of like when finder slumming fouls a three-point shooter. Every, everyone knows you don't do that. It's unwise. There's nothing we can come on the podcast and say that's going to be, you know, <laughs> insightful about that. Uh, the one thing I will say is right. just like, it's it's an example of like, you know, again, I think McKissick thinks he, like if, if you ask McKissick what he kind of thinks of himself as a defender, it's probably like super elite. And it's just one of those things where like versus the way I would maybe look at it where it's like, no, you you can't go and try to match up with him where you did because he's going to beat you to the edge. So again, just an example of like, if you don't have those top, top level defenders, you can't really try to pick up that far from the hoop and you can't really try to stay with them like that. So that kind of problem. The other thing I will say, and I, this, I don't think this was intentional. I think it'd be hilarious if they said it was intentional, but the clock would not suggested this is what they're going to do but this is a big strategy right now in europe and san francisco did this who's very like math ball oriented um did this earlier in the season where they were up by two and they so it's so teams that are up to fouling the other team with the ball on the last possession with the thought process being you know the worst thing that can happen is you know you you go to overtime um because they hit two free throws and you know best case scenario is is you win because they miss and uh, you just kind of eliminate the chance for for a go ahead three. So it's like a, it's a semi um, yeah, it's, 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 I, I don't want to say it's like a regular strategy that everyone's doing in Europe. It's not quite the like foul up three, which is really like, I'll say everyone is doing it, but it is kind of the next evolution of <laughs> really analytically driven math ball is to foul up two, um, which is, uh, you know, pretty, pretty crazy. So it, it obviously like, this was not, this will be like one day when like, you know, Ken Palm or someone is analyzing situations where fouls occurred like this up to, this will be one kind of data set that uh, of that happening. Of course it wasn't intentional, but uh, it obviously worked out in the favor, but those are, those are just kind of my thoughts on, on, on the foul. There you go. That's really interesting. The, the foul up to thing. I will say that uh, Todd Golden uh, was uh, the longtime assistant for Kyle Smith 
and they um, at Washington State did that against Winthrop uh, this year, fouling up two. Uh, they end up winning the game um, basically by sending Winthrop to the free throw line with 12 seconds to go. So uh, just kind of a there, there. I guess that school of thought is is catching on, but I hadn't really thought of it as being tactical, to be honest. When I saw them do that against Winthrop, I thought that was a dumb foul. Uh, so that's interesting, Eric. Uh, really fast. You learn something all the time on Florida Basketball Hour. Let's set the stage for Senior Day. Um, the Gators are honoring some seniors. Uh, a couple could use a COVID year. Uh, so let's point those out first. Myron Jones, eligible to return. Uh, Tyree Appleby would have a COVID year. Um, so those are the two. Well, I guess Colin Castleton. Um, although I feel confident suggesting that this is Colin Castleton's final game. Uh in at Zach Tech Arena. The Gators are in the field in 13 brackets. That's three, up three from the last podcast when it was 10. Um, so they're up to they're up to 13 in. And if you really want to go like deep into the weeds, uh heat check the the most uh, accurate in the last couple seasons uh, has Florida in the first four out. Delphi bracketology, also one of the most three accurate in the last three seasons, has Florida in the first four outs. So the Gators um, not really in the next four out, like Joe Lenardi says, I don't think. I think they really are in that replacement team, you get COVID group. Um, But uh, I think two things, Um, and then I'll I'll get Eric's take on this before we talk Wildcats. Um, I think if Florida wins this game, a lot of people are like, they win, they're in. I don't know if that's true because weird stuff happens during conference tournaments. So, like, I'm not sure Florida could win this game and then take a bad loss at the SEC tournament and still get in. Um, but I don't think that they're under any pressure, under any circumstances, to win two games in Tampa if they win against Kentucky. That's just my opinion. Maybe they're in altogether if they beat Kentucky. Uh, who knows? Kentucky is ranked, like, fourth in Ken Palm. I think they're third in Bartorvik. They're really good. Um and then my other thought is if Florida loses, uh, they're going to need to win two games in Tampa. My, my theory is 21 wins is the number for Florida. If they get there, they go to the NCAA tournament. Yeah, that seems pretty accurate. I'm glad we are now using, um, you know, Lucas Harkins as the bracketologist of record on this podcast. Um, though I actually like another one. You shed it out. Delphi. Yeah. That, that one's really cool. I don't know if people know about Delphi, but it's like uh, like a high school like bracketology club that they meet like year round like at like after school and like do bracketology i i think it's just like amazing and basketball nerdy um but there's a teacher who runs it and like students that take it really seriously and uh, it was a couple of years ago now but they had the only perfect bracket a couple of years back um of, of all the bracket matrix um so, so they, they have kind of shown to be um, one year they were number one um, and they performed really well the last couple of years. So Delphi is one that's uh, uh, super cool. They're also like, so they've got like, so they're, I was going to say class, their club runs a Twitter account. You can tweet at them and they'll talk basketball with you. And I, I just think that's super cool. Um, so definitely happy to look at Delphi as well. Definitely. Um, one thing. So here's Bart Torvik stat number two. That is fascinating. So Bart Torvik going into the Vanderbilt game had the Gators with a 37% chance of making the NCAA tournament. They beat Vanderbilt, not in super dramatic or, you know, in super dramatic fashion, I should say. And they actually dropped to 30 or 31% chance of making the NCAA tournament. However, 
Um, the next day, games on Wednesday take place. A lot of the other bubble teams that the Gators are with lost. Really convenient. Um, we are recording on Thursday. So far, a bunch of um, teams kind of on the bubble as well have lost. So now as we currently sit on Bar Torvik, the Gators are up to a 50% chance of making the NCAA tournament. So All right. again, for, for whatever that's worth, um, and, and of course, Bartorvik is also predicting a Gators loss uh, to the, to Kentucky and still within their algorithm of suggesting the Gators are going to lose that game, still suggesting the Gators have a 50% chance. So that's, that's Bartorvik interesting stat number two. And, uh, I, I know we've said it, but if you want to keep track of all these bubble games, go to Bartorvik, go to Florida's, um, team profile. And then there is the, uh, uh, rooting guide, I believe it's called. And you can look at what games are taking place and who you want to lose essentially to, uh, to help uh, Florida's chances. But uh, I've got to say, Neil, pretty interested that Florida's number um, raised up that much. And uh, it kind of shows that the Gators are still, you know, clawing, you know, you know, after, after Vanderbilt, it was like, well, that didn't really move the needle too positively, even though it was obviously a win. Uh, but again, so much of it right now is like, obviously you want to take care of business, but it really is like, how are the dominoes around you falling? And, you know, they fell positively for the Gators, but uh, man, they would feel like considering they're on Bar Torvik, a 50% chance of making the tournament with an ex- expected like six or seven point loss to, to, to Kentucky. If you, you win that game, um, yeah, the Gators, you know, should be feeling fairly good. Um, of course, with the caveat of like when once bids are stolen, you know, who knows what happens. Yeah, no, no doubt. And look, uh, Kentucky's obviously, I think they're tremendous. I think they're final four good. Um, you know, I was talking about the good guys, the guys they have that can get in the paint uh, and and really exploit whatever this type of help defense that Florida's trying to play is. Um, you know, and I didn't even mention Xavier Wheeler, who is their point guard and is just the best drive and kick guy, I think, in the SEC. Uh, so, you know, I mean, they just have a lot of weapons. It's it's the best offensive team that John Calipari has had uh, since the the team with um, Jamal Murray. So I think, uh, you know, really a really tough ask for the Gators. That said, um, when Kentucky's been vulnerable this year, it's it's pretty much been uh, on the road. Everybody knows if you play Duke at Madison Square Garden, that's a road game. Uh, so that was a loss. Uh, and um the other excellent losses were actually on road floors, Notre Dame, LSU, Auburn, Tennessee, uh, and Arkansas, Tennessee, uh, Auburn, uh, really taking Kentucky to the woodshed, which I don't think Florida will do. Um, but that's sort of the, uh, you know, they're not as good, uh, on the road as they are in Rupp Arena where they were invincible this season. Well, and since the Gators and, and Wildcats last played, I mean, so they, so they've lost to Arkansas, they've lost to Tennessee. Those are obviously not, you know, not bad losses. But uh, you know, they beat Alabama, but Alabama was up by like fourteen. They beat LSU. LSU was up by like fifteen at one point, and uh, they allowed Ole Miss to, to kind of stay close too for much of the game. So like, there's been five games since. And like they have not really played well in, in, in either of them, I, or I guess I should say maybe didn't didn't put together you know forty good minutes. Um, if Alabama and, and LSU were able to just kind of like hold on to leads that they built a little bit better, this could have been a you know a rough stretch for Kentucky. So I, I don't really think they're playing their best basketball right now, um, and that's something that I think is hopefully beneficial to the Gators. Um, and uh, the one thing too that I think is uh, is going to be very different for for this game for the for Florida 
is uh, from the first matchup is obviously in that first game, Tyree Appleby only plays a couple of minutes and then leaves due to an injury. Um, we know that the Gators don't really have great depth at that position. So that certainly was not favorable to the Gators. And not only do they have Tyree Appleby back, but they've got Tyree Appleby back who is averaging 20 points per game over the last four games. So going from, you know, no Tyree Appleby and not a very good replacement to having Tyree back and playing his, you know, maybe best basketball of the season, maybe the best basketball of his career. Um, that's a, that's a pretty big kind of swing point. And, um, if you're looking at like, okay, how could this game possibly be different Then you know, why should we have hope after Kentucky just hammered the Gators the first time around? Uh, maybe you start with that. Yeah, I think that's a great place to start. I think we mentioned on the last podcast, it's not while it's a really efficient offensive team and, and obviously, uh, they're the best team in the country on the glass because of Oscar Shepe. Um, they aren't terribly scary in terms of post play. Uh, none of Sheboy's back backups are really back to the basket guys. And uh, Oscar Sheboy, you would think that somebody that, that, that is that fierce on the glass would get fouled a lot. And certainly if you watched the first Florida Kentucky game, you'd think, Oh man, he must just live at the free throw line, but he actually is not even in the top 250 in the country and fouls drawn. So he's not a guy that, that gets, uh, to the line a ton offensively. So they are pretty drive reliant um, and they still do shoot a lot of free throws because they're Kentucky, but it's not like they're posting people up and just uh, beating the heck out of you. It's usually uh, either a drive where they get fouled or, you know, an offensive rebound by somebody other than Shebae where they go back up and get fouled. Um, so, you know, a little bit of that uh, with Kentucky and it's a seven or eight man rotation. The, the one difference in this game will be, uh, that Jacob Toppin, who did not play at Rupp Arena, will be back. Um, Toppin plays about 30 minutes a game, so he plays quite a bit, um, even though he doesn't start. Yeah, if you're looking for another kind of concerning matchup for the Gators, I would say it's Jacob Toppin playing because, of course, Kentucky hammers the Gators on the glass, uh, mostly because of Oscar Shibwe, but a, a lot of those minutes were six foot seven, Keon Brooks at the at the four, who's um, you know, great player, but not like physically imposing on the glass, but still kind of like <laughs> the, the Gators got hammered on the glass and had, you know, Kentucky almost had as many offensive rebounds as the Gators had defensive rebounds. Uh, but Jacob Toppin plays the four next, uh, um, next Oscar Shibwe. He's six foot nine. Um, more like he's not, I think he's only listed at like 200 pounds, um, which seems light for what he looks like, but he is definitely thin, but he is just long and his rebounding is, is, is really good. His numbers, um, kind of rebound rates are, are really solid. So, um, a team that kind of hammered the Gators on the glass, get another good rebounder. Uh, and that's about what Jacob Toppin does. He's not, um, you know, he's a ball mover. He's a, he's kind of the glue guy in that, uh, um, that kind of rotation. I almost said starter, but like you said, he doesn't start, but he's just, it seems to be on the floor all the time anyways. Um, so that, that's definitely one that's a little bit concerning. And uh, I think we talked about after the Kentucky in the first time around that, like, yes, there was times where Shibwe just like manhandled whoever was boxing him out and got a rebound. And it's like, okay, you live with that. But still, I mean, I, I went back and looked at all his offensive rebounds and like, there's like a bunch where he just went completely unchecked and like, or, or, or guys turning, um, or, you know, shot goes up, turn, they look at Shibwe, then they turn and look back at the rim and, and don't body him up. And he just has free runs to the rim. It's like, those are the ones you just can't live with. I mean, there's a reason the Gators are, I, I think now 335th in the country in defensive rerunning percentage. I think they went up three spots after Vanderbilt. Um, but, that, but the reason they're down there is not that they're getting manhandled on every possession by every team. There's a whole lot of guys just not being disciplined and finding bodies. And like, they've obviously struggled against even teams that aren't very good at offensive rebounding. 
and they certainly did it against the best offensive rebounding team in the country. So it's just one of those things where it's like their, their attention to detail and focus just like has to be better. And if there's a cross match and it's Myron Jones having to try to box out for all he's worth against Chibwe and he gets an offensive rebound, we can live with that. We just can't have guys looking at Oscar Chibwe, but not actually engaging him physically. Yeah, I think one of the things that we talked about on the last pod when we broke down the 21-point loss at Rupp was Florida took care of the ball at Rupp Arena uh, better than almost anybody that's been there this season did, by the way. The Gators only had 10 turnovers um, in the game. Uh, That's not very many. Um, And, uh, you know, it didn't matter. Florida ran good stuff on offense. I thought they didn't shoot particularly well, uh, which can happen with this team, as we all know. But – they got out rebounded 41 to 25 uh, and 18 to five on offensive rebounds. They, they cannot get out rebounded uh, by more than 10. Uh, if they want to have a chance to win, there's my uh, key stat that I sometimes drop into these podcasts. Give me plus or minus nine. Um, it won't be plus nine. So give me minus nine or lower on the glass. And I think Florida has a very good chance uh, to get this W. Yeah, let's remember that on the that podcast, I think I said that I, I think I set the over under for you of Oscar Sheway offensive rebounds at like five point five, which in a couple of years of saying stupid stuff on the podcast, that might have been one of the one of the stupider things I said. That one was like that over was hidden a couple of minutes. So I won't try to do that again. <laughs> but uh again, it's 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 uh it's definitely a concern where it's like it doesn't matter how good Florida's first shot defense is, um, if they don't end the possession with, with the defensive rebound. And that, that kind of has to be the, the biggest concern. I mean, there's concerns too, with like, you know, I, I think severe Wheeler's fantastic. I think he's a lot better than a lot of other people do quite frankly. Um, and I don't even think he played super well against the Gators. So, um, he's someone who could, could have a little bit of a, of a better game as well. But, uh, um, I, I think for me, something I'd also love to see is, is kind of like I mentioned with Colin Castleton getting those opportunities to catch the ball in the high post, have everyone clear out where he can attack to his right hand. Like I would love to see him do that against Shibway. And, and I would love to see the Gators call those plays for him. Like that's one thing that I watch teams play Kentucky. It's just like, I, I'm surprised that teams don't make Shibway guard more. Like he's not a very good defensive player. Like he's, you know, six foot nine and 260 pounds. Like he's not, a great shot blocker. He can't contest high at the rim. He doesn't move his feet super well just because he is so muscular and heavy. Like, uh, again, I just, I know I say this all the time. Like <laughs> one of the differences between NBA basketball and college basketball is like NBA teams who just like relentlessly attack mismatches. I, I would just love to say like, let's get Chibwe out of this game with foul trouble or like one of foul trouble or make them really think about, okay, Colin Castleton is going to get to his right hand layup every single time that Chibwe's guarding him, you know, let's weigh that against his rebounding. Like, I, like, I, I think you've got to really make Kentucky, you've got to, you've got to really make Oscar Chibwe work defensively in a way that I just don't feel like another uh, enough other teams do. And then also, yeah, maybe if he's guarding tough actions all the time, he doesn't quite have the motor to continue to, you know, go grab 20 rebounds a game. That's just something from like a game planning standpoint. I'd love to see from the Gators. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm all for anything they can do to slow down the guy who's probably going to win National Player of the Year, uh, despite, you know, like he does have some flaws in his game, like Eric said. Uh, again, he's not a tremendous back-to-the-basket post-scorer. I mean, a lot of his – he does put up these 20, 25-point games, and a lot of it is just he's so dominant on the offensive glass and so good at putbacks uh, after he gets offensive rebounds that um, – 
you know, the, the points kind of pile up. Uh, but yeah, I think getting him in foul trouble is obviously got to be something that Florida, Florida has to find ways uh, and scheme ways to get post entry passes to Colin Castleton uh, in this game, I think, and let Colin go to work on him. I thought Colin played a little timid uh, in Rupp, which is unlike Colin Castleton. Um, I think Appleby being off the floor, by the way, had something to do with that. Uh, that really took out one of Florida's more creative ways to get Colin Castleton the ball, um, really their only creative way. Um, and so uh, I think that didn't help Colin, but certainly Colin is very prideful. We all know that. Um, and he has, that was the one really good player that he's gone face to face with where he hasn't won the battle this season. I mean, even with John Fulkerson, uh, he, he didn't get that chance, but um, you know, with, with, who's the guy uh, Kessler uh, did really well. So, you know, I think senior day Florida's honor and six seniors, like let's, let's let those guys go to work playing their, some of them playing their last college basketball game uh, at home and, and uh, see if they can get some foul trouble. The other thing Florida needs to do that they didn't do really well in the early is I think they just got to start better. Um, you know, they can't go get behind 20 to five like they did last time. Uh, and so that means that they're going to have to defend the arc a little better than they have the last couple games um, because Kentucky uh, does have some guys that can make those shots. I mean, it's not just Kellen Grady. And I think that is something that, that gets lost a little bit uh, is that, you know, they do have Davion Mintz who's, who's at 36% out there. That's not bad. Ty Tay Washington is at 34, five. If you had told me he'd shoot 34, five before the season, I would have said, man, Kentucky's going to be really good. I thought he was a 28, 29 guy. Um, Savier Wheeler can hit those if he's open. So Gator's going to have to guard the arc um, a little bit better than they had the last couple games, Eric. Yeah, I thought they really got hung up on a whole lot bunch of screens when they were running Kellen Grady off floppy actions. And like uh, they're still running those a lot. So just like kind of communicating how they want to handle those. Um, hopefully they come in with a better game plan than kind of the night before or the last last matchup. Um, but uh, I think too, like one thing that is nice is Kellen Grady has kind of been a little bit uh, on a little bit of a cold streak um, since that game against Florida. So uh, that's kind of nice for the Gators. Hopefully he's not hitting like four straight threes, like he did to start the game. But um, like, again, I was looking at some of these games that Kentucky's played recently, they've had slow starts and allowed Alabama and LSU to jump out to 15 point leads in the first half. So um, I'm not suggesting that the Gators need to, you know, scheme up that play to have a 15 point lead. I mean, it'd be great if you could do that, but just to kind of know that like uh, this good, this guy in a game could very well come down to like who wins those, those first eight minutes. Like we saw the Gators play, you know, 30 minutes of close basketball. Um, the first kind of matchup with Kentucky, but it was like, they put, they dug themselves such a hole that um, they couldn't dig themselves out of it. So uh, definitely uh, I'll be interested to see the, the starting lineup in this one. Again, that will depend a little bit on, on Daruji. Um, or maybe, maybe it will, maybe it won't. I'll be interested. Um, CJ Felder, actually, I, I, one thing to note too, CJ Felder was one of only two Gators to be positive in the game against Kentucky. He was plus three. Um, Kwesi Reeves was plus four. Um, CJ Felder played 18 minutes. I thought he was really good. It kind of makes sense to get him out there, um, rebounding and, and kind of battling with the front court size of Kentucky. Um, I, I, I really think for him, it should be all about like, or it, it kind of is all about just how healthy is he? Because I think if he's able to play 18 minutes, he should play 18 minutes. And if he could play 24 minutes, he can, he should play 24 minutes. But if he's only able to play six minutes, uh, I hope they get, you know, 
six good minutes out of him. Yeah, no, agree. They need CJ on the floor. Uh, if for no other reason, than he's a very competitive rebounder. Um, so if Florida can win, uh, obviously does a ton for their NCAA tournament hopes. It would also not assure Florida of the five seed at the SEC tournament, but to put them in a, in a position where Alabama would have to beat LSU in Baton Rouge uh, for Florida not to be the five seed. Now, if Florida loses, uh, Florida seed it could go anywhere from, I think, six to nine. Um, kind of depends. The one thing I will say is if Florida wins and gets the five, they will be like almost in the same spot that they were in a season ago where they played Tennessee, lost, and then got the five because they lost and had to play Tennessee again. Now, um, that year, last year they were going to play Tennessee again, even if they won, they would have just had the double bye, uh, which would have been great. Um, but um, in any event, um, it, Florida could play Kentucky twice in five days um, because if they – if Florida wins, there's a very good chance Kentucky gets the four. So all kinds of crazy seeding scenarios uh, for the SEC tournament. Um, but I still think Florida probably needs two wins to get in, try to get it sa Saturday at home uh, in a sold-out uh, Odom. Yeah, I mean, I've hardly looked at sec tournament brackets and like what it could look like because it's been so much of like hey the gators just like once you get yourself in a must-win situation i'm just like you, you haven't been even concerning myself with the sec tournament yet but hey it certainly would be nice to be kentucky um in you know regular season play here and then you're kind of in a situation where it's like okay at least you're getting a really quality game if they do have to see kentucky right away and then um just kind of be in that position where it's like, okay, even if you lose, you've lost to a good opponent. Just as long as you don't get blown out, that still might be enough. And uh, you're in as like a 10 seed, which Bartorovic has the Gators at projected as of right now, because they have them as a 50% chance of, of making the tournament. So um, pretty exciting. I mean, I think these players that have uh, came to Florida, especially the transfers, um, because they so badly wanted to play in the NCAA tournament. It's like, okay, well, March Madness starts right now. Um, this is the, the huge game senior night. Um, not quite must win, um, but man, it would really, it would really help. So we know we're getting the best kind of basketball we've seen from Flanders Fleming recently. Um, Tyree Appleby, I think is playing his best basketball. Um, Colin Castleton pretty much is too. I think his shoulder is the only thing limiting him right now. Um, can some other, we're starting to see a little bit more consistency from Myron Jones. Like, can they put it all together? I mean, this is the kind of the moments that a bunch of guys transferred to Florida to, um, I, I won't say they came to Florida to experience this because I think they probably thought that they'd be in a more comfortable position heading into March. Um, but it was to play in big games. Um, and this is, uh, this is going to be one of them. That it is. I will let Eric sign us off in just a second. I wanted to point out real quickly that the lowest seed that Florida could get in the SEC tournament is the nine seed based on tiebreakers. Um, but they could be seeded all the way down at ninth with a loss. And an, if LSU wins and South Carolina wins and Texas A&M wins over the weekend, then uh, that scenario would put Florida all the way down at the nine. Now, I don't think uh, – I forget who – I think South Carolina plays at Auburn. So, you know, I'm not very optimistic for Frank Martin's team uh, in the jungle. But, hey, crazier stuff has happened with a Frank Martin team. So I'll let Eric sign us off, and we will be back after the Kentucky game. Go Gators and keep attacking closeouts.